Good morning. Thank you, Jenny, for that song. Isn't it comforting to know that our God has plans for us? But not just plans. Is there are plans and then there are plans. For sure. But his plans are to prosper us. Amen. Let's just take a moment and pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we come before you now in the name of your, your, your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it is because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we can come before you. And as the scripture says, we can come boldly because we come having been washed in the blood of the Lamb, having been set free, having been given a hope, a future, a life. We thank you for that, Lord Jesus, and and we thank you that, Father, that you have plans for us. And they aren't just plans, but they're plans to prosper us, and we're so very thankful for that. Now, we just pray, and we continue to pray for little Jesse. We pray that your healing hand as a great physician would be on that child. We also pray for this morning. We pray for the message. We pray for each and every one here today that they would hear from you, not from me. And if there is anyone who does not yet know you as their Lord and Savior, it is our heartfelt desire that they should see you today, that they should understand what it is that you want to do for them, for now and for eternity. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. My message today is titled simply, Investments. You could almost change it to plans. It's amazing. Um, Did not have a clue what Jenny was going to sing about, but it just falls in place with uh, the message. What a coincidence, huh? That God of ours in coincidences. In way of introduction, I just want to take a moment to discuss someone who in the last 10 years has become simply a household word. And um, this individual is in a profession that, from the world's perspective, uh, a small percentage are are interested in as a whole, far much less that would participate in it. But because of the phenomenal success of this individual, it's amazing what has taken place. Um, And within the industry of that individual, it is almost transformed overnight from a billion dollar industry to a multi-billion dollar industry uh, that has gone off the charts. And the individual we're (coughs) discussing this morning, at a very young age, the parents were very much involved in the direction for that child and helped give a vision to that child that he would eventually become extremely successful in what he does. 
and those who get the email got sticks, of which that means nothing to the rest of you, might have figured out who I'm talking about this morning. But who it is is Tiger Woods. You know, if you're not interested in basketball, you might know or think about Michael Jordan. Baseball, you may think about Babe Ruth. But, you know, if you're not interested in it, but it's just amazing what he's done and has accomplished. And for these reasons, his parents at an early age gave him a vision, but only gave it to him long enough where he could decide whether he wanted it. As it turns out, he did. He has he has just an amazing level of dedication and determination what is needed if you are going to be successful at anything. He has literally invested his life in the game of golf, and, well, his rewards, and they continue to happen, are just nothing short of phenomenal. So it isn't the game of golf we want to think about in Tiger's success We want to look at his motivation, his determination, and his unwavering enjoyment and desire for what he does. Because if there's a way we can transfer that into the lives of Christians, just think what we can do for Jesus Christ. Just think about that. Our text this morning is from Psalm 37, verses 3 through 5, because it's a great portion that it can inspire us to be invested in the right things as Christians. Psalm 35, starting in verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord. I'm sorry, 37. Did I, what did I say? 35? Forgive me. Let's roll it back. Let's try Psalm 37. I'm saying, Lord, that's taken a lot of pages turning this morning. And I, I believe in not starting until pages have ceased. I said, well, I guess I should continue on. All right. Psalm 37, starting with verse 3. Let's start it over again. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will do it. How is that for a promise? Again, we want to think about investment. What is an investment? Carl's ears perked up. Simply, it's to spend time, effort, etc., with the expectation of some satisfaction from the investment made. Or another way, to put money into business, real estate, stocks, bonds, etc., with the purpose of obtaining an income or profit. Put another way, whatever we invest in and the motivation that drives us, there is always a natural expectation 
whether that investment is in another person, something of value, or a business, or an object, or thing, an education, or training, or some aspiration, sport, or hobby, we expect to reap or benefit from our time invested. Another question, why do we invest? There is, in each and every one of us, a God-given instinct and desire and the ability in each one of us to invest in and accomplish the task at hand. The motivation being to reap some kind of reward or, again, sense of satisfaction. Now, as individuals this morning, what are we investing in? And we want to think of the investment primarily from a spiritual thought or perspective this morning. First and foremost, God wants us to invest in the gift of eternal salvation. And that is in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says in his scripture, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's what he wants to give us. That's what we need to start an investment with God. If we do not have the investment of eternal life in Christ Jesus, then our investments will never come to pass. The success of them, they simply won't. Without the gift of eternal life, all that we accomplish is for nothing when we survey what we've done with eternity in view. Mark 8.32 says it this way. For what does a man profit if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Pretty darn sobering. But he gives us eternal salvation. How do we value that this morning? God invests that in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's a wonderful salvation that God gives us. Listen to, no need to turn there, but listen to Psalm 103, verses 2 through 5. David describes it well, what God has given us in our salvation. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all our iniquities, heals all our diseases, <clears throat> Excuse me. Who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion and satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. And what he gives when we trust in him and walk with him is he gives us through the power of the Holy Spirit a spiritual vitality that is awesome. No matter what our circumstances, no matter what our difficulties are in life, no matever our challenges are, when we have Christ 
And through them, through the trials, through the tribulations, we are walking with him. We don't run out of energy. We are not cast down into the valley of discouragement and despondency. We are overcomers. We rise in such a victorious way through difficulties when we're walking with him. Another question we need to ask ourselves this morning, is God directing the investments in our life? Are we relying on God-given insight and direction through prayer, through his word and godly counsel? Or are we relying upon worldly influences and motivations? Because believe me, there's a whole lot of motivators out there on the TV. Boy, they're there and by the hordes motivating or trying to motivate people in one way or another. And people go from one to the next to the next to keep it going. But only one thing gives you lasting motivation for life, and that is Jesus Christ. I love what Paul says about this in Romans 12, chapter one and two, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, which is acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good, acceptable and perfect. It just doesn't get any better than that. Another question, what are we investing in as Christians this morning? What investments are we involved in? What is captivating our time, our energy? Certainly, we have a daily routine. For most of us, that includes a job. We have to devote a specific amount of time to our job, whether you're employed by someone, you're a homemaker, whatever it is. That is reality. So there is a certain amount of time, and it's good. We should work. But what are we really living for? That's another question we should ask ourselves. 1 John 5.15 Do not love the world, nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The two cannot coexist. In our life, in our personal life, how is our spiritual investments going for each and every one of us this morning? How is our standing and relationship with Jesus Christ? Because there's where it starts and ends. Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39 put it this way. Paul says, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. How about that for a motivational speech? That's pretty darn good. That's pretty darn encouraging. As long as we're investing in it. It's only as good if we're making the investment. If we don't buy a lotto ticket 
and I'm not condoning lotto tickets, can you possibly win the lotto? No. If you go to the store to purchase something and at some point in the transaction you don't push across the money, you can't take it home. It's no different in your life with Christ. You can lead a mediocre, I'm talking people that are actually saved this morning, not just professors about Christ, not just having prayed a prayer, but their life shows nothing of a life in Christ. But I'm talking about Christians who have truly been saved. If you want to dwell in mediocrity, you can. For God is no arm twister. But like the song said this morning, that is not his plans for us. My goodness, he says, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Hello. What gets in the way? Circumstances, spouses, situations, jobs. Oh, no. Don't blame any of them. Blame the person you see in the morning when you look in the mirror. Okay? That's the greatest obstacle that can hinder your walk. Other things may be involved, but it starts there. Are we committed to Jesus Christ? Another question is, are we truly saved? Is our life about convictions or traditions? See, there's a whole lot of religious people out there that have tons of traditions. But they don't count for eternity. They don't get you to heaven. They just take up your time. They can give you the chance to talk a great talk. To enter into a discourse with someone about the things of God. But for the life of a Christian, we must go much farther than talk. Again, Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14, and this is lengthy, but again, it's marvelous to show why this man was so phenomenal with Christ, why God was able to use him in so many different ways because of the level of faith and trust he had in his God, the investment that he made and allowed God to make in him. It's the reason why he's the author of so many books in the New Testament is because of because of scriptures like this that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Wow, the fellowship of his sufferings. He didn't go around whining about them. He didn't go around bitter and angry about them. He drew God right into his difficulties. The fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead that I may have already that I have not already obtained it, nor have I become perfect, but I press on. You see, press on. Tiger Woods, press on. You should have seen this kid in a tournament a couple of weeks ago. He just played lousy one day. It was embarrassing to watch it, but just pressed on. He didn't give up. Oh, by the way, two days later, he won the tournament. Do we want a victorious life? Don't give up. Don't let the author and perfecter of discouragement and dismay 
and the person who's there to help you go down into the dumps, the devil reject that conversation and continue to converse with your God and he will propel you through whatever difficulty it is. I do not regard myself as laying, having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize. Wow. Did Paul make investment? Did he allow God to make investment in him? Do you think each and every one of us are any different in Christ? Do you think he has any less aspirations for us? It isn't about writing the books. It isn't about preaching. It isn't about anything but what God wants to do in our life and use us in whatever way he desires and not for us to have an attitude if we don't like what he is doing. Newsflash. He knows what's best. My goodness. He created everything. He knew each and every person in here I've said it so many times, but it's true, before the foundations of the world. He knew each and every one of us that was going to accept him. He knew those in this room that were going to reject him. And that, make no mistake, is our own personal choice. God is willing to save every person. Again, are we religious or do we have a relationship with Jesus Christ? How involved is Christ in our life? How involved is Christ in our life? A poem that shows the kind of motivation, the kind of investment we should have in our Savior. It goes like this. Let me hold lightly the things of earth. Transient treasures, what are they worth? Moths can corrupt, rust can decay. All their bright beauty fades in a day. Let me hold lightly temporal things. I, who am deathless, I, who wear wings, let me hold fast, Lord, the things of the skies. Quicken my vision, open my eyes. Show me thy riches, glory and grace, boundless as time is, endless as space. Let me hold lightly things that are mine. Lord, thou hast given me all that is thine. How's that? How's that in our lives? Is that what's happening? How much time do we invest in prayer? Again, how do we converse with God? Through prayer. It's our conversations with God. That's what prayer is. Conversations. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 Pray without ceasing. What does he mean by this, Paul? Simply this. Know he's there with you every moment of your day. And when things get challenging, if you're not alone, speak to him silently and said, draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to the cross 
for thou hast died. Stay close to him. Converse with him. Acts 1.14. All these were one mind. All these were one mind and were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Think about the word devote. What are we devoted to? We could be devoted to many things. How is our investment in the word of God coming along? Oh. Well, if you want a victorious in life, a victorious life in Christ, if you really do, the word of God is not only important, it's not optional. It needs to be a vital part of our life. Why? Hear the words of David. Thy word have I treasured in my heart, his spiritual heart, that I may not sin against thee. That's it. Whatever it is we do, whatever it is we want to try to accomplish, is it possible to accomplish that task doing it five minutes a day? Probably not, or it would probably take years to accomplish. It would be hard whether you could even retain the five minutes during the day and remember what it was the next day. And yet how many Christians that do read their word take about five minutes? That's it. Just five minutes. How enriching, how deep, how often do we have devotions with Christ? And how long do they last? There's a quote. It says, hurried devotions become nothing but religious commotions. They are of no value. If you want to have a diet of the things of Christ, you will be anemic spiritually. You will have no victory in your life. If when you read the word of God, and it's just reading, something is desperately wrong in your life, it has to talk to you. It has to challenge you at times. It has to certainly motivate you at times. It has to encourage you at times. It has to convict you at times. Or something's desperately wrong. Are we walking with God? Is he truly our Savior? Is the Holy Spirit sustaining us and directing our lives? Are we allowing the Holy Spirit that indwells us to make the right investments in our life? Are we cooperating with that? A few questions on that. Are we in subjection to godly leaders in our church? Or do we have a problem with authority? Have we sort of nominated ourselves a spiritual Robin Hood that goes about rescuing, criticizing, 
You know, that's one of their finest gifts. They have the gift of criticism. You know, they got plenty of lingo, Christian lingo. But they have no desire to submit, first and foremost, to the authority of Jesus Christ. And then to those in leadership in that church, whatever it be. Are we teachable or do we have a rebellious spirit? Are we correctable? Are we dedicated and committed to him as Tiger Woods is to the little white ball? I love the little white ball, but it's not my gift. I enjoy playing it, but I have no misconceptions of of my abilities in that area. But I do have a commitment and a conviction for the things of God. I do seek him as reliance for my life. I do listen to him. And I am sad when the spirit of God convicts me on something. We must be sorrowful when we have done wrong. Never ignore the spirit of God. I pray every morning about the spirit of God. I say, let me not quench, defile, or grieve the spirit or resist the movement of the Holy Spirit in my life. I ask him for that every day. How's our church life? Well, we know how the New Testament saints were. It says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer because they wanted it, they needed it, and they had it. And they turned the world upside down at their time. Do we look forward to coming to church? Do we look at coming to church as a privilege? Or is it an obligation, or worse yet, a hassle? Are we happy when we have an excuse to stay home, even if it's sickness? Is there a sense of relief in us, or is there a sense of ache that we are missing the fellowship, we're missing the teaching, we're missing that which just builds you up as Christians? How important is the worship service on Sunday morning? How, wor- how important is this service or the prayer meeting on Monday night or the Bible study on Wednesdays or the studies for the women on Mondays and Thursdays? How important are those? How hard do you work to be able to get to those? I remember there were years when I was on the road in sales where every Monday and every Wednesday I either had dinner in transit with my trusty knees, don't recommend it, on the steering wheel as I ate. Most of the time I just waited till after it was over because I needed to be here. I needed the spiritual food more than I needed the physical food. And then our ministries. How important are ministries to us in the church? 
Are our ministries God-given or self-appointed? I always marvel when I see somebody going around sort of developing their own ministry in something with no sanction or direction from God, much less leadership, who God's allowed to know what's needed. And we delight when people come and say, I would love to serve. So is it God's will? Do we seek counsel to confirm? Or are we seeking a fast path to the, quote, more important ministries? When we get to heaven, marvel not that I'm looking around looking for him. There he is. That Mr. P, as I love to call him, Rick Punzo, crown is as big as anybody's because he delights to do and serve in what God has given him. Not once does he look at it as, as drudgery. And I have, a, I have a feeling if we tried to take it away from one day, we'd have a fight on our hands. Okay? But who knows what it is? Because he's not looking for glory. He's not looking for anything but to serve God and be pleasing in his sight. This has to be our attitude. So what is it we aspire to when we come to Jesus and we want to serve? Do we yearn for teaching and preaching? Or do we want to do what God wants us to do? Believe me, there's no glory in being up here. It's a horrid, awesome responsibility to make sure that what you share with people is what he wants you to share. Have we made the necessary investment and and commitment to our ministries? Do we do our ministries for his glory or ours? A few tests in that area. Are we bothered when we're not properly thanked? Does it enter us or do we just joyfully do it for Jesus? Are we offended when somebody else is acknowledged while serving and we're not? Something to think about. Do we love to be seen in what it is we do? Or is it just enough to silently serve for him and to take care of others in whatever it is we do? Do we have clean hands and are we pleasing to God while we're in our ministries? Are we faithful workers? Are we right with God? It's so important whatever it is that's done for Christ in this church is done with clean hands and that we're right with God. Are we involved in a ministry because when asked, we knew it wouldn't be a good thing to say no. So out of embarrassment or we don't want to look bad, we say, okay. And so we're kind of just doing it because we were asked to do it. Or do we look forward to it? Do we think about it? Whatever it is and how well we can do it for his honor and his glory. Things to ask ourselves. Do we delight 
in our ministries. Then there, there's the investment in home and family. If you have no life with Christ, your family will have troubles. If you are in sin and rebellion, your family will have troubles. If you are selfish and self-centered, your family will have troubles. If you are an angry person and contentious, your family will have troubles. If you're not a troublemaker, basically you're a nice person, but you, do, you lack commitment to Christ, your family will still have troubles. If you are a godly, committed, surrendered Christian, your family will be blessed. If you are married, both saved, you and your spouse, you have devotions and times of prayer, your family will be blessed. If you don't, it won't. If you have children... Don't just be aware of the responsibility God has given you. Allow me, fear God, that your conduct is such that your children are inspired to copy you and are led to Christ. Do not conduct yourself in such a way that leads your children away from Christ. Because then no matter what else is accomplished in your life, your life is nothing but failure in the eyes of God. There is no more important investment to be made in a family with children than the children. You do not give them carte blanche. You do not let them have their way. You love them to death in Christ and you discipline them when needed in Christ. There were times... When I had to spank my children, did they survive? Did you survive? Did you survive? Amazing. Listen to the philosophies and the psychology of this world. If they don't let, and I'm talking in Christ discipline. I'm not talking brutality. I'm not talking wrong things here. I'm not talking physical abuse. I'm talking godly discipline. And if you don't do it, you are creating, allow me, allow me the liberty this morning, you are creating monsters. I watched a man years ago in this church who refused to discipline the son. And by the time he was three, he was out of control. At five, you were ready to call the police. I'm serious. It was crazy. And you'd mentioned to him, oh, I can't do that. I love him too much. That is such a cop out. No one enjoys disciplining your children. But it's what is needed to make sure 
they stay in the right kind of life with Christ, that they stay in the right area of discipline balanced with love. They need both. So please give them both. If you have troubles deciding on it, seek counsel. Believe me, please seek counsel. And last, let's take a brief look at our occupations in life. Whatever kind of job we have, whether you're an employer, an employee, self-employed, homemaker, in the military, or retired, we are obligated to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of our Savior. Are we faithful, reliable, dedicated workers who work well with co-workers? Do we have the concept of a team player? Or do we have a tendency to dismiss that? Believe me, the principle is true. There's always strength in numbers and harmony. Do we cause a harmonious atmosphere at work? Or do we stir trouble for trouble's sake? Is there a testimony as us as Christians at work that we are people that have a strong work ethic, that we're faithful, that we're trustworthy, that we're known as people of integrity? To do less brings shame on our Savior and shows that we have made the wrong investments along our Christian walk. Things are desperately wrong If people, I remember someone telling a guy once that when they heard that he was a Christian, they said, I had no idea you were a Christian. Wow. How sad is that? I mean, I had countless people I used to call on. And then somebody would come in once in a while and say, hey, I got a great joke. Wait a minute. Hold it. Hold it. Hold it. Hey, Bill, why don't you check the inventory in the back? Right? Well, that's a compliment because he knew the guy and he knew what kind of a joke he was going to tell him. Are we known for this in our walk? Are we known for this in our, or are we bullies? Are we slackers? Whatever the problem is, it's wrong and it gives God a horrible reputation. Here's what God thinks. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as to the Lord rather than men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. For it is the Lord whom you serve. That kind of cuts it to the chase, doesn't it? That's our motivation. So what kind of investments have we made? With our eyes closed and our heads bowed, we'll conclude this morning with a couple of questions. First one, where have our investments taken us? Where have the investments that we have made taken us in our life with Christ? The first of two quotes. In Tolstoy's Man, Dame, and Fortune, 
The hero is told that he can have the right to all the land around which he can plow a single furrow in one day. The man started out with a great vigor, and he was going to encompass only that which he could care for. But as the day progressed, he desired more and more rights. He plowed and plowed until at the end of the day, there was no way he could get back to the beginning and therefore would forfeit all. But struggling to do so, he tried harder and harder, but only ended up falling with a heart attack because of his greed. He ended up with 18 square feet of graveyard space. That's the kind of investment he had. He was he invested in greed. He rewarped. He re, he reaped greed in his life. Again, is God pleased with how we have invested our lives? This is the bottom line. How have we made our investments? And last, is there a need to change how we have been investing? A quote, I counted dollars while God counted crosses. I counted gains while he counted losses. I counted by worth the things that gained in store, but he seized me up by the scars that I bore. I coveted honors and sought for degrees. He wept as he counted the hours on my knees. I never knew until one day by the grave how vain are the things that we spend life to save. I did not yet know until my loved one went above that riches is he who is rich in God's love. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning and we just ask that you would be with us that we would cling to you, that we would walk with you, that we would seek you in all that we do, and that you would be our single motivation in life, that we would want to please you, to honor you, and to be guided by you in everything we do and say, so that the end of our life would be a different one, that it would be a one that would honor you. And one day when we got to heaven, We would not see our life go up in hay, wood, and stubble, but rather we would see things that stayed that were gold, silver, and precious stones. We pray pray to you now, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.